Hi, everyone. This is Joshua Hoffman, and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success and discuss a few things they learned along the way. Today, I have Elisa Freud, the founder and CEO of She Speaks, a marketing firm focused on connecting female influencing creators with brands and media. Welcome, Elisa. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to start off actually with your own podcast um, that you host, because I actually think it has a great purpose. And I I honestly just want you to kind of tell us a little bit more about it um, and start off there. Sure. Well, thank you so much for that opportunity. Uh, so the podcast, my podcast is called She Speaks. It's the She Speaks podcast. And uh, it is also the name of our company. But we started the podcast in late 2020 as an opportunity to help inspire our community of women. So uh, the She Speaks community has a quarter of a million women who are part of it. COVID happened. We were all stuck and, 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 and we were thinking, what could we do to help people feel like a little bit less, you know, get a little bit unstuck and how could we help with that? And so what we said was, well, we get inspired by other, hearing other women's stories of like struggle and, and overcoming struggle. So what if we started a podcast where we just shared these stories. We have so many amazing women who are part of our community. What if we just started uh, sharing stories? And um, that's kind of how it started. It's evolved to be um, a little bit more focused on an area of expertise that a woman has that is relevant for our community, but it's still the same idea. We interview women who have an area of insight or knowledge that we think is going to be useful for our audience. And, and we do the show weekly. So well, it's a fun, I, fun show. I, I love it. And, and I guess, you know, just to, I want to keep adding to that because I think it's an important topic to, to talk about. Why do you think it's so important to highlight uh, women's voices? Well, um, when I, I think that, I think that when I started, there was a, it was a different time. Um, when I started, she speaks, which was back, uh, we were in beta in 2007 and, uh, we launched a, more officially in 2008, but the, the company was started as a way to kind of build this stage for women, um, and give them the chance to talk to brands and tell them what they thought about their products and services. Um, and, and just in general, tell us what they thought on a variety of topics, um, but what we found as we've gone on in time is even though we feel like we've made all this progress in that, you know, women have come a long way, the reality for a lot of women is still that, you know, we are not feeling like we're heard, we're heard. Um, you know, I think a very fair and recent example of that is Roe versus Wade, the overturn of Roe versus Wade. Um, this, we just actually finished another survey, another study about this topic, about the overturn, now that the implications are starting to trickle down and states are banning abortion, the abortion pill is now also, um, the, the it's working its way through the U.S. courts as a potential to be banned, a pill that has been on the market for 30 years. Um, right. And I think women across different uh, political affiliations, across age groups, across demographics within the U.S., women are worried. They are, they, when, when it was, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, I think women were kind of like, oh, that's scary. 
And a lot of women were very vocal about it. But until things started to take effect and individual states started banning the right to a woman having abortion and abortion, it had it was not real. Things are getting real now. And so when I say that, you know, when we started in 2007, maybe it felt like a very different time, like, oh, you know, it was, you know, women's voices needed to be elevated, right? They needed, women needed a platform. Um, and now maybe it's different. Well, we have this very recent example um, that I think is very real and impacting women. So I think now more than ever, uh, we still need what we're trying to do, which is amplify, you know, make sure we understand what's going on with women and then amplify that to brands, to, um, to uh to the media to anybody who will listen like this is what's going on with women so well speaking of that then do you mind kind of taking a step back and actually telling us a little bit more about your company Sure. Um, so she speaks. Uh, we started uh, at, when back in 2007 as a research company. Um, and back then um, I was working in marketing, but I felt that brands uh, could do a lot better of a job in terms of how they appeal to women. I knew that women accounted for over 80% of purchase decisions in the, in the U.S., which is a lot, a lot of purchase decisions being made by women. But I also knew that brands were getting it wrong. Like women were turned off by a lot of the advertising that was coming at them. So originally, uh, when we started, we started as a platform that was going to help brands uh, better understand how to uh, understand what women wanted and make their products and services and communications better because of that. What we found, though, as after we launched, was that a lot of the women who were joining to be on our research panel to give their opinions and to try products and give their opinions about them um, were what you now call influencers. So back then they were not, nobody knew the word influencer. No one was talking about influencers back in 2008. But as time went on, brands started to understand that, that, women and people were building these social followings and that there was an opportunity for them to tap into that. We were in a position to really give them access to all of these women who were what you now call influencers back then. They were like mommy bloggers, people who were so were active in social media. You didn't have a name for them. Now there's a name for them. And um, we have really great relationships with them. Um, we know what uh, is important to them. We know how to take a brand's message and really translate that to creating awesome content um, with, these, with these female creators and influencers. So the business we're in today is the influencer marketing business. And we work with um, all kinds of brands, everyone from Hershey to Prudential to Fidelity to Coca-Cola, like lots of different companies who are interested in having women consider their products and 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 hopefully buy their products. So we work with um, influencers, the right uh, influencers, pair them up with these brands to create content, and then we amplify and distribute that content. Was there like a specific day or something that you decided like, okay, you know, we should go from doing research to like doing what you currently do with your services? Or was it just over time, it kind of just evolved into that? Um, 
you know what? I wish I, I wish I could have made the decision faster. Um, I think what we realized was there was this great opportunity to do the marketing part and not just the market research part. But as, as maybe some of your listeners know in marketing or in, 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 in big companies, let's say, which are who we were targeting, there is a, it's almost like church and state market research is on one side and marketing is on another and they do not overlap. Like you don't do, you don't say I'm going to do this market research study and also get some marketing out of it. That's not what you do. You're doing it for insights, right? So when you go in to talk to a company about your services, you have to be super clear about what it is that you offer. You can't go in and say, I offer this and this at, you know, these two different services. It's very confusing. So I think we probably could have made the decision faster to say, okay, we're going to put a stake in the ground and say, this is where we think the opportunity is. Um, But that's, I think, one of the learnings as an entrepreneur is that you learn that sometimes that, that. Yes, the world, there are lots of opportunities. That's one of the wonderful things about entrepreneurship. It feels like the world is wide open. But what I think a lot of successful entrepreneurs, what they've learned is to be really focused on what you what you offer and be very clear on communicating that because otherwise and you know it's interesting because as a marketer and I you know spent the first part of my career working at a very large brand doing marketing, um one of the first things I remember learning as a marketer was when you give people too many choices, they choose nothing. And, you know, it's, it's very interesting because it's kind of counterintuitive. You think, because everyone says talking about research, everyone says that they want choice. Everyone's like, I want lots of choices. I want lots of choices. At the end of the day, reality is that's actually not the way that we function as human beings. We need to make a decision. And um, when you give people too many choices, it just becomes overwhelming. So um, I wish I could say that I learned that lesson in entrepreneurship as quickly as I learned it as a marketer. I didn't. Um, It took me uh, probably a year to figure out that the best thing to do was to be incredibly focused on my message. And then you almost can always go wider but you have to start somewhere and be focused on where you're starting. Unless you say, oh, that thing, I've tested it in the market. It's not right. It's not appealing. Nobody likes it. I'm not going to sell this service or this product, whatever it is. Then you have to shift gears, right? And choose something else. But if you have something that people like as a concept, right? And you're able to sell it, then focus on how do I sell that thing better? How do I make that thing better so that I can expand my audience of people who are buying it? Um, And then you can always add things later. But going into a room with people and saying, basically, I do everything. What would you like to do is, is, is kind of a recipe for disaster. Yeah, just to add to that a little bit. Well, pa- uh, paradox of choice. You know, if there's a Wikipedia page on it, is is what it's called, I believe. And and it is. It's easier to choose between an option of three than it is twenty. Um, yes. and, and not only that, you're usually happier because you don't regret your decision after, right? Like when when you do have so many options and you make the purchase, you're then in this 
perpetual, you know, did I make the right decision? Did I make, when there's three options, you know, barbecue, ketchup, and, and honey mustard, you know, you made the right decision as opposed to, uh, this is an awful example, but low sodium ketchup versus high sodium ketchup, blah, blah, blah. blah. So, um, no, I think that's a good Yeah. Point. And, and, and it's kind of similar to another principle that you learn in business school, um, the Pareto principle, which is that otherwise known as the 80-20 rule, which is, okay, what are, you know, it, you typically have, you know, 80% of your volume coming from 20% of something, right? So you really have to say, okay, be very almost, um, you know, ruthless in, in, in your decision to what, for what you're going to focus on, especially early in a startup's life. I think the more, um, the more specific you can be, the more focused you can be, the better off you're going to be in the longer run. And then you can always, as I said, expand after you've, you've mastered one thing. I I love that. And And to add to that too, you know, one of the more the most suggested things on this podcast is you know start with a niche or start with a specific service and and I completely agree and and actually my first business I don't think we did that and that was kind of the reason why it didn't it didn't take off but what I wanted to say to that is also a lot of times your roadmap is not even some like proactive thing you need to do it's actually more reactive and it's actually what you're hearing from customers so for example a lot of marketing firms won't have a development team in house uh, but they keep you know customers keep coming back to them and keep saying you know, can you just do like a small website change or can you do something like that? And, and whether it's partnering with someone like the sponsor of this, that worked out well, um, or bringing someone in, in house and bringing one or two devs in house and be like, wow, now we have an additional service. I think it's, it's better to grow in that way rather than, and, and, and through research. Um, but you know, I think, I think the other side of that, however, is that sometimes your customers can be actually telling you the wrong things. Maybe, uh, it's there one or two customers is telling you something, but no other customer is going to ask you that after. And then obviously that's not a direction, um, to go into. So, uh, no, I completely right. agree. Uh, to change course a little bit, how did you get your first customer? Um, great question. Um, I really, it was kind of accidental that I got the first customer. What I did was I had an idea for what I wanted to do. And I then said, you know what, I'm going to go talk to some people who I think are smart and ask them what they think of this and, you know, how um, how they might tweak it, make it better. So I just took a, you know, went and met with a ton of people and, you know, basically anybody I could network with to meet. And I got introduced to these two women who were running the hair care brand for Jonathan Anton, who at the time was a celebrity hairstylist. I think he still is around as a celebrity hairstylist. Um, but he had a show, um, I think, up the, um, called Bra- on Bravo called Blowout, something like that. And he had a hair care line. And I had been introduced to the two women who were uh, branding gurus and kind of in, in, uh, in charge of, of building that brand. And I talked to them about what I was doing. And they said, listen, when you're ready, we'll give you a few thousand products for you to to send to people to get their feedback about it. So I thought, oh, wow. Okay. I didn't even realize that I had, you know, I was ready to go, but, um, thank, I was, I'm very grateful that I encountered them because it gave me sort of the, 
uh, I, you know, the confidence to kind of just go and try and, and make that leap. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not saying that they were like, oh, here's a gazillion dollars to do it, but they were willing to help me get my proof of concept. And at that time, that's what I was looking for. So I guess technically they were my first clients. Uh, you stole the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say it was really a proof of concept is, is really the approach you took. So I guess the more important question then is how did you get your second customer? Because obviously the first customer is important, but that's a data point where, where when you start to get more than one customer, it's a trend and that's building a business um, as opposed to like staying as a one-time consultant type thing. Uh, yeah. So how did you get your second customer? So so the second customer was also kind of a similar deal that I got introduced to somebody um, who uh, went to the same business school that I did. We got introduced somehow and she had launched a snack product and uh, she was looking to get feedback. She needed people to try it. But in particular, she was looking to get people to go into certain stores um, where she had she had some distribution, um, let's say at Walmart. And but she but they what they do like a lot of retailers, they'll give you a few stores and they'll see how it works in those stores. But what she really wanted was people to go into those stores and be asking for the product. So that was a really interesting um, opportunity because she wanted the feedback, but what we were going to do is we were going to do it a little bit differently. We were going to send people um, a coupon to go redeem in store to go get the product. Um, they were going to get it for free, but they were going to go get the product, find the product, take it off the shelf and um, show the buyer at those stores the product was moving. And it's interesting because oh. it was a great proof of concept for us because A, she got great feedback helped her change packaging, helped her change some, some, um, some of the uh, formulation of the product, but also the buyer took notice that the product was moving. And so they ordered more. So she got into more storefronts, uh, more, you know, more doors. Yeah. And, um, and it ended up being an early um, indicator for us that we could also market the product, even though it, what that wasn't our intention. Um, it ended up being a great, uh, a great way to show that we could get people to go and buy product. Um, so that was the second. And because we were able to get such a strong proof of concept, um, I parlayed that into an article in brand week. Um, and once we got written up, um, in brand week, because we had a good case study, we had the, the client was willing to talk to, um, to, to do an article. It was good for her because she got exposure. Um, then, uh, then we just got more exposure and that led to paying clients. So well, the first two were like, you know, doing it basically, I was doing it at cost. Um, but, the but that those helped me get the proof of concept, to get a good case study, I got a placement in um, one of the trades, which was my target audience reading that trade. So then that led to paying clients. Speaking of the paying clients, uh, you know, you've mentioned a few of them, but like Hershey, Prudential, Kraft, Coca-Cola, obviously, you know, as big names as you can possibly get. How the heck did you get them? Um, it, it's, it's a process, right? So you get 
you get um, you get the smaller guys first who are willing to take a chance, or you get lucky that you meet somebody at a bigger brand that's willing to take a chance. That was the first bigger brand that was willing to pay us to take a chance was Phillips. Um, and yeah. I met somebody um, there who had read the article. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, she's like, look, I like this idea, but um, I, this is going to, like, I'll, I can pay you, but this is really going to be like a proof of concept for me at Phillips. And so these are the things we'll have to show. So let's set it up so that we can show success. And, and we did that. And, and then once that happened, once I got Phillips on board as a paying client, they came back again, um, that you go into another brand and you say, I've got Phillips as a client. So you just kind of build off of it. Um, but, it, but, you know, you start, obviously, you know, you got to start somewhere. So, um, so that's kind of how we went from zero to one to two and then to the bigger guys. Exactly. What I was going to say, I'm glad, I'm glad we really did go from, you know, like most of the time I do ask first and second customer, I think it's incredibly important. Obviously our listeners are, are listening to start an agency or grow their agency. So, you know, it's worth, but I love how you really did tell the story from a, you, you said exactly from zero to one and then one to big, we'll call it. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so no, that was, that was great. Um, a few questions I ask at the end, uh, if you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? Oh gosh. Okay. I have a few, but I'll, I'll try to, cause marketing is my thing. I love marketing. Um, I love, I mean, I think marketing is really about understanding people and understanding like good content. I think we're in an age of amazing content. So, um, I feel like this is such a great time to be somebody who's interested in marketing. Um, but I would say that the biggest thing of We've worked on a lot of different brands, worked on, you know, um, across many different um, categories. And the one thing that I have learned that I think really helps in, in, in what guide us and what we do is that you have to be able to focus on the benefits of your product or service. I think, and I say that, and because everyone's like, yeah, of course. But I think the problem is as marketers, and I suffer from this myself as a marketer, you get very caught up in your features. I you get very caught up in features and nobody, like, except your very earliest adopters who maybe are on like the bleeding edge in your category, most everyday people who are going to be your wider audience, especially like with consumer-based products, which is what we tend to work on, nobody cares about that. All they care about is how is this product going to make my life easier, better? Um, it's going to make me smarter. It's going to make, it's how is it going to enhance my life or something that I care about? And so if you can take the product and really under or service and, and look at it through that lens. What does my customer care about? How does this product give them a benefit that, that they care about? And you can convey that, that is a recipe for success. And, and that's, you know, today what we do. And, and I think that's one of the wonderful things about working with influencers and creators. They are not sitting in, they're not your brand marketer. They think about your product 
from a benefit standpoint. They're not thinking about your features. They think about how does this, how does this make my life better? How do, what, how does it taste good? Why does it taste good? Does my kid just, you know, how does it let me have a better interaction with my kid or whoever it is, right? That is what they, in, the influencer creator is thinking about when they think about how to convey your product in their camp, in, in their messaging. And so I think that's also why there's so much success with influencer content right now, um, because influencers think about it from that perspective. And they also, of course, have that all important relationship with the audience, with your target audience. Um, and if they can convey authentically how this product fits into their life and makes it better, that is what's going to win with their audience. Yeah, I think Simon Sinek or Sinek or he has a lot of good content on that. Um, so no, I, I think that I think that's great. And I don't think it's it's not necessarily like you're avoiding the features. It's just it's really what benefits do those features provide. And those that's what you should be honing in on, I think is is kind of what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um what do you enjoy talking about the most that you normally don't get an opportunity to talk to talk about? Um in marketing, it doesn't have to be. I mean, I I uh, I love talking about marketing, as you can tell. So um, I'm always like, you know, that's that's always something that's enjoyable. And I, I thankfully um, get a chance to do that with our clients a lot. Um, and, you know, I also love talking about entrepreneurship. I think that um, there's, you know, having been you know, around as long as I have in terms of our business, I'm very grateful um, that I've been able to, you know, kind of do what I've been able to do. And get the chance to, to continue to do this over the years and build it. Um, you learn a lot, you learn a lot when you do that. So I am a big believer that, um, my responsibility is to, you know, make things easier for the people who are kind of coming, um, up behind me. I'm not a believer that if I suffered, someone else should suffer. They should go through the same thing. Everyone's going to go through their own experiences, right? But if I can make something easier for someone else, because I went through it, um, and I have the benefit of the hard won, uh, knowledge, then I want to be able to do that. So, um, I love talking about entrepreneurship too, and, and what, um, and what are some of the things to look out for? Because I do think that there are themes. I think there are, and, the, and, and they recur. So it's not like, I mean, as, a, as an entrepreneur, you're going to see things over and over again that happen. In fact, I think that's a lot of what it's about. It's about the patterns. Like, how do you see what the patterns are, pick up on them? And that's why you get better over time, because there's nothing that replaces experience. And I remember early in my career, I was so impatient. I was like, I just... I just want it. I want it to be right. I want it to be right. I'm, I'm, you know, right away. And I can't believe I'm getting something wrong. I'm, I'm doing something wrong. And that, um, what you have to realize or what I had to realize is that, um, uh, you know, nothing trumps experience. So sometimes, I mean, some people only have to experience it once. But you still have to know what it is that, you know, oh, I've experienced this failure. I tried this this way. It didn't work. We learn a lot from those things. And, um, you know, the failures, I mean, I don't 
I've never been somebody who gets dissuaded by failure. I, I love saying, um, and I say this to my kids all the time, that failure is not fatal. Like it, it's going to happen. You have to be able to say, okay, I am going to fail at something. I'm going to fail at mel- multiple things. How do I figure out what I learned from it, that experience is going to give me and then, um, and then move forward from there. So um, yeah, I love talking about that. You know, what, what are some of the pitfalls of entrepreneurship and, and then how do you, you know, how do you navigate through it? I liked what you added, uh, what you said about failure. Um, I won't go into the whole story, but basically there's this basketball player named Giannis Antetokounmpo um, and he just lost, he, they were the number one seed. They should have won the series and they lost. And, one of the um, the commentators kind of asked him or the reporters asked him, you know, do you see this as a failure? And I won't get into it, but his answer was just spectacular. So any of the sports people, if anyone wants to look up the Giannis uh, uh, speech, it was it was great. And it was it was a lot of what you're saying um, that's not failure. So I, I think that was great. Uh, are you guys looking to hire any positions right now? We just we actually just hired somebody. We just uh filled um, a role last week. And before that, two others, um, like the two weeks before that, we, we've been a little bit on a hiring streak. Um, I am sure that there will be um, more coming soon, um, but we just filled uh, three different roles um, in the last probably month or so. So not that I don't think there's anything open at the moment, but I'm sure there will be. Reach back out reach back out when, when that's the case and, and we'll hopefully post it uh, in, in places. Last question, any books, podcasts, newsletter recommendations, anything on that side? Um, uh, yeah. Well, first of all, um, a book, Atomic Habits, such a great book. It, uh, I'm sure you've got it. I see you looking I was, around. I, I mean, it's two arm lengths away from me. Yeah. 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 Great book. Um, and it's another great story um, in understanding that, you don't learn like nothing happens all at once, right? It's 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 in take it in, um, you know, think about things in incrementality because they compound, right? The value and the effect compounds. So I love that one. I highly recommend that. I just think it's good foundational. Um, and podcasts. Um, I love the All In podcast. I know I'm like one of a billion people and it's like the number one rated, I think, podcast, business podcast, but I always learn something new. Um, and uh, I love that they have different perspectives. They don't all have the, they're, they, you know, it's, it's like listening to, um, you know, an analysis, like one topic that four different perspectives are analyzing and you cannot help but learn from it. So, I love that. That's totally up my alley. That was, that was great. Uh, as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you and anything else you'd like to end with. Uh, well, if they want to find me, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, Aliza Freud. So it's just my name on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, if you want to find our company, we're at shespeaks.com. If uh, you uh, are wanting to, if somebody wants to join and uh, maybe as an influencer creator wants to join and, and participate, um, or um, we, if you're a company looking to understand how we do what we do, more of the business side of it, um, you can go to shespeaksinc.com. I was, I was trying so hard for the entire episode, not to mention anything about, I, f- I forget who, what the relationship is, but yes, you are, you are uh, related to Sigmund Freud. I don't know. It's too cool, too cool not to, not to say. So I had to, I had to throw that in at the end, uh, but thank you so much for coming on the show and, 
For those, for those of you who've learned anything uh, or something new from this episode, please consider giving us a like or a follow so we can continue getting the highest quality guests. And as always, thank you for listening. Aliza, this was great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.